Inside 20, for those who desire to hunt close. Brought to you by Traditional Bow Hunters of Georgia, Big Jim's Bow Company, Gunshy Archery, Vantage Point Archery, Custom Kings Traditional Archery, and Triple T Strings. Inside 20 is a separate entity from our sponsors. The information shared from each podcast are the beliefs of the Inside 20 associates and the guests participating. Today, we are excited to be sitting down with an individual who has a passion for all things traditional archery and clearly mastered the art of bow making as it is one of his full-time ventures. Many of you know him as the winner of season eight alone. We want to welcome Clay Hayes. Clay, thanks for coming on tonight, man. We really appreciate you. Absolutely. Happy to. So you want to tell us a little bit about yourself, where you're from, and uh, why you choose to hunt with traditional equipment? Yeah. Um, I grew up in Northwest Florida. I grew up on a ranch down there. Um, and I grew up at a, a good time to be down there because there wasn't all the uh, development and construction that there is now that place is pretty congested when you go down there now but when I was a kid I had pine forests and um <clears throat> had the ranch that I grew up on but then all my aunts and uncles um owned all the land around us and so I had thousands of acres to to roam around on and I spent my childhood in the swamps and when I wasn't in the swamps you know they they trapped me and go into school or Sunday school or something like that and I was thinking about being in the swamps um and so, you know, I've always been interested in <clears throat> primitive skills and um, always wanted to be a mountain man and that type of thing and, and, and run off and, and live in the hills, build a log cabin. And uh, traditional and primitive archery kind of just always went along with that. Um, I've always kind of just gravitated towards that type of thing and never really let go of it. I guess I never grew up, so to speak and just kind of <clears throat> kept playing with it and kept playing with it and eventually started making uh, YouTube videos. And I think I put my first YouTube video out on bow making in 2008, I think. Um, you know, never, never uh, had any thoughts that I'd ever make any money at it or make a living doing it. I just um, did it because I liked, uh, I like making the videos. I like the, the video editing process. I like making bows and I was good at teaching people how to do that stuff <clears throat> and all that stuff kind of just came together and, um, started doing the videos and it just kind of snowballed and now I'm do it full time and happy as can be. Yeah, that sounds like life. So do y'all have a, I guess when you were, when you were growing up, you had a a lot of resources where you were at to, to make bows, make good bows at least, or where you practicing on, on pines like the rest of us up here in Georgia? Well, we didn't have any Osage where I grew up. Uh, we, we had a uh, common persimmon. We had lots and lots of persimmon. And so that's what I made my first probably dozen bows out of um, with a, mulberry or two thrown in there i even made a bow out of uh atlantic white cedar one time um but i didn't have any of the top tier you know the, what you would think of as as good bow wood but i made use of what i had um i had you know i picked up a, a uh a, a copy of the traditional bowyer's bible um when i was probably 18 years old and that book 
just probably single-handedly changed the course of my life. So does do, does uh, persimmon make a good bow? Because we have plenty of that around here. You know, it's I haven't made a persimmon bow in a long, long time. And so it was, I remember I made bows with it that would shoot well, or what I thought, what I considered to be good at the time. You know, I really didn't, I was new to traditional archery and everything, so I didn't really know what a good bow was. But uh, I know it'll make a bow, and I need to, I need to, I need to pick, uh, get, grab a uh, persimmon tree next time I'm down there and just redo it so that I can, you know, answer that question. But I can't really answer it right now because it's been so long. Yeah, I've heard mo most fruit trees make decent bows, right? Yeah, you can make, I mean, I don't know. You can make a bow out of darn near anything. Uh, it's just how that bow performs and the longevity of it. Um, but as far like, People get too hung up on getting the best stuff, and uh, when you're first getting into bow building, you just need to go build a bow out of whatever, whatever you can get your hands on, whether it's a pine two by four. You know, you throw a, a, a fiberglass tape, uh, drywall tape backing on it, and make something that'll fling an arrow. You'll, you know, you're not going to make a great bow, but you'll you'll learn something while you're doing it, and that's uh, that's part of the process. So. I watched your video and this was actually the other day because I got um, a guy called me and said, Hey, I cut down a hickory tree. Do you want any? And I was like, yeah, I, I want some, I want to try, you know, building a bow. Um, and I was watching your videos, just kind of weeding, weeding through them. And you have that form, I guess it's, is, is this what you use on all of your bows? You kind of draw it out with this pretty much the same way on most of them. Um, on the stave before you you shave it out is that kind of how you go about it yeah usually unless i'm doing uh um, something more primitive with like minimal tools like i've done some videos recently where i'm like have just a hatchet or something like that and i'll make a bow um just and i'm mainly doing that just to show people that you can you don't have to have you know fancy tools you don't have to have a workshop you can go out there with a doggone swiss army knife and make a bow you know if you're right. dedicated enough to it right well that's cool man yeah I'm, uh, your videos are definitely going to help me along the way i'm sure I'm, i'll screw a lot up but i have plenty of staves that i i got so that'll be that'll be perfect that's how you learn yeah that's right i'm sure you get asked these questions a lot but i wanted to talk about alone for a second and we'll get past that whenever you're ready but um what was your biggest takeaway after you came back from alone you know, I, I think I think everybody ought to experience something like that at least once in their lives. Um, being deprived of the things that we take for granted every day um, and and throwing a whole bunch of suffering in there with that. You know, it just it gives you a perspective on your life that very few people get to to get these days. Um but I think the biggest takeaway that I got and that most people I think get when they do something like that and they stay out there for a long time is how much your family means to you. Um, and I, uh, that was something that was, you know, front and center for me is especially my wife. You know, I, I, we tend to take people for granted, you know, that, that, that are a constant that are there all the time. We just, 
don't you know we just don't think about it um but when you're put in a situation like that where all of that stuff is taken away from you um it just brings it to your attention how much that stuff means to you 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 didn't seem to have much much trouble surviving but it seemed to be more of an emotional battle which which i de- i definitely speaks to um being away from your family mm-hmm. yeah what was the biggest change in your life after you got back i mean outside of winning the money and stuff what what changed the most for you i mean you know i know you said that you know i know you went back and spent a lot of time with your family but what else changed nothing really i mean the being more appreciative of uh of my of the family especially liz that was the biggest thing um but as far as like how we live um nothing's really changed i mean since i came back uh liz and i have taken a trip just us uh when we're down in florida i I think we've done it every year uh where we'll take you know a week or 10 days and just go you know go do go take the take the boat and go fishing down in south florida or something like that um so that we we, you know we we never did that type of stuff before um but you know we didn't i didn't go out and buy a fancy truck or anything like that um i did buy a boat (laughs) we paid her house off so we're we're debt free and we set the boys up some some college funds um but nothing really changed as far as like how we live you know that's awesome to be debt free it's a it's a big goal for many to strive to meet and yeah. not many get to do that in life even in the point of close to retirement yeah it's uh i i love it man i i get up in the morning and i get to figure out what i'm gonna do and i don't right. have to i don't have to do anything i don't want to do <laughs> such a he- heavy weight that often controls a lot of our decisions in life is, is finances and it uh, yeah. also changes a lot of dynamics and re- relationships and personalities all yep. that good stuff what about food i gotta know like is there any kind of food when you came back from alone that you just like man i gotta have that i was i'm super craving it like what, there's a big mac or was there a chick-fil-a chicken sandwich anything that you got back to the mainland and just wanted it real bad um they i i think the thing that i missed the most was was coffee um and i don't I don't even think it was the actual, the, the coffee itself. It's like, um, you know, one of our, uh, like our morning routine at Liz and like, I'll get up first and have a cup or so. And then Liz will get up and we'd sit on the porch and have our coffee together. And I think it was more just kind of that, um, that routine and that time, um, in the morning that I miss the most. Um, but as far as food goes, when they, you know, when you, when you can't, when you come out of the woods, they don't just let you eat whatever you want. You know, they have a nutritionist there that, uh, you know, for, uh, puts together a personalized diet for you. And they, like, I think they kept me for another, I don't know, 10 days or so at the, at the lodge there after I come out. Um, but when they finally did let me go the first, uh, first night at the, I think I was, vancouver or international airport or something like that had a layover there and i got a um double cheeseburger and a a cold beer and 
I got dessert, which I never do, which is like some sort of big slice of chocolate cake. So I was, I was pretty happy. Making me hungry. <laughs> that sounds pretty good. That was well-deserved for sure. Absolutely. How was hunting while you were out there compared to hunting to sport? I mean, what, what decision-making okay. went into that? Yeah. All right. Um, there, I don't, there wasn't any difference really. Um, there was when, when I was, when I was out there, there were, there was a lot of stress. I was under a lot of stress because I'd, I'd caught some fish and they, they didn't show me catching all the fish that I, that I caught. I had, I don't know, that first week or so, I probably caught, I don't know, five or six fish or something like that. And so I had kind of a little stockpile of, of smoked fish fillets, but like after that first week, I, the fishing like turned off and I, I didn't catch anything for a while. Um, and so like I can, and I'm fishing every single day and I'm fishing long, like five, six hours a day, I'll be fishing and not catching anything. And so I can see this little stockpile of fish, uh, dwindling and that, that fish is my, that, that's, that's the only way that I'm going to be able to stay there. And so I can see the end coming, you know, and this is all this pressure is like weighing on you. Um, and you know, when I decided to go hunting, I, I actually, I found a little bit of fresh sign, didn't like the situation, didn't want to blow the deer out. So I left and I came back, you know, a day or two later and was just still hunting. Um, and we, I don't know if you guys still hunt, like, like the type of still hunting I'm talking is like creeping through the woods, you know, really slowly, just stopped a lot of times looking and, and listening. <clears throat> And when you hunt like that, you can't, like, if you're not fully present, you're not hunting. You're just walking in the woods. You know, you have to be completely there. And so that, that type, you know, when I was actually hunting like that, it was no different than I do when I, than I still hunt, you know, here or, uh, um, anytime. Um, but when I did kill that deer, then all of that stress that I was under that can't that like boiled out and, and came to the surface because it was like this huge weight off of my shoulders and I've never experienced anything even remotely close to that in any other hunting that I've ever done um, because the, the pressure is just not there the stress to, to, to put meat on the table is just not there like it was you know when I was out um, out in BC uh, right. But that, as far as the difference is, that's the only real, real difference. But that was, uh, you know, like I, I've, I've taken a lot of animals with stick bows and I've never experienced the type of emotions that I experienced at that moment. Right. I can imagine. So, so do you think, do you think someone could sustain life up there? Um, just living in the woods, kind of like you did, like for a, a long period of time, a few years, is it possible? <clears throat> well, that particular place would be tough um and no and I, it's my understanding that the natives never lived up there like they would go up there but they never lived there you know they would go down to the to the river down down river and that's if i had if if i had actually like been in a plane crash or something and landed there i wouldn't have stayed I, i'd have gone down lake down river and ended up on the fraser somewhere 
you know, where I could have gassed some salmon or something. But that's just a harsh place. You know, there wasn't, there was very, very little game. I was there for 74 days and I saw two deer, one moose. Um, and so it was just, it's just not a, not a very friendly place to try to make a living. Yeah. So there is areas that you could, you could make it if you had to in there. You just wouldn't, you wouldn't stay where you were put. Yeah, I would, I would have just gone down to the main river down at more out, out of the mountains and more out into the, see, it's a big glacial Valley that flows out into more of like the, the foothills and the rolling and the, like the, the drier country, um, where there would have been more game, uh, more fish. Uh, it's just that, that up there is just kind of stark, you know, it's just not a, it's not a high productive, uh, highly productive type of ecosystem. Right. Right. So I saw you, I mentioned it earlier. I saw you shoot that bobcat, man. And that, that bow, I was, I was really surprised that bow was a shooter. Like for sure. What, what was that? Can you tell me the specs on that bow kind of and the arrows that you're shooting? Yeah, that was, I was hunting with a, a fire hardened hickory bow on that hunt. The arrows were probably, they were dug fur. Uh, they were probably 650 grains or something like that. I just shoot the same arrows at everything. That's what I shoot at. That's what I shoot for elk. So I just uh, shoot them at pigs and squirrels and rabbits and hogs mm-hmm. and whatever. Right. Um, but the one that I'm shooting now, the, the one that I'll elk hunt with this year is probably the, I've got a, a sinew backed Osage uh, bow up here that I've been shooting pretty well up in Idaho. <clears throat> gotcha. Yeah. That, um, that was a showstopper for that that bobcat. Were those were those uh, bobcat enchiladas? Were they were they really good? Yeah, it's um, people are I don't know uh, they just are kind of weirded out by <laughs> eating eating stuff like that. But it's just like anything it, you know any any other meat. You know I've had lion and and bear and all that stuff. And it's all good. You just gotta you know like anything else, you gotta cook it right. Right. Yeah. I imagine, uh, anything that kind of looks like a pet folks get a little, get a little <laughs> funny about, you know? Yeah. Yeah. They're really weird about, about bears, you know, um, they, they, especially when you get in YouTube comments and stuff like that from people who, you know, sometimes they're even hunters that, that comment negatively on that stuff or mm-hmm. they just assume that you're out there, you know, shooting something for just to shoot it, I guess. I don't know what, what they think, but they they're not uh, not shy about making their opinions known. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, a lot of people are like that. Yeah, I think most uh, most folks are. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they are. Uh, what brings you the most gratitude as far as it goes when building the whole bow and all of your equipment? Um, what brings you the most gratitude out of out of all that? Is it getting out and shooting with the bow, or or just knowing that you built it with your hands? Well, I, I think like when you first get into bow building, I can remember back when I was a kid, just, uh, I remember, um, I used to fly fish for bluegills all the time down in little creeks 
in Northwest Florida. <clears throat> and I, I remember like tying my own little popper, popper flies. And just like, I like that. Like may, I like taking stuff that is raw, either raw materials or repurposed or whatever, and making something useful out of it and, and, and going hunting and fishing and, um, you know, but that I, I've always been like that with everything. I mean, I've, uh, my truck, I built my truck from ground up. Um, you know, I didn't build my house, but I would have given different circumstances when we, when we needed a house. I just like to build stuff. Um, I like to take that raw materials and, and make something useful with it. And when it comes to archery, bow and arrow, I think that's like, uh, high, that's the highest level of functional art you can find i mean it's just a it, there's a beauty about it um but when you first get into building bows there's a huge sense of accomplishment like when you when you take when you go cut down a tree and and whittle a bow out of it and then go kill a deer with it that's that's pretty dang cool and you just i mean you don't get that type of you don't get that feeling of accomplishment i don't think in any in any other way um and so I don't know. It's just something I've always liked to do and uh, never quit doing it. Functional art. I've never heard bows described as functional art, but that really sums it up. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I, li I like that saying. That's that's good. So watching you and all the things that you do, um, it seems like you do it all when it comes to traditional primitive archery. If you could take the next step in your archery career, what would that look like? I mean, what would, what would pushing the envelope look like for you? Well, um, you ask that question kind of at the, the, the turning point, I think, uh, cause I'm just now starting to, to think about that. Um, when I was in college before we had kids had a little bit more time and I went through, uh, a phase it was a couple of years where i hunted with basically stone age equipment i mean i had i was brain tanning buckskins and i was you know doing a poor job of flint napping heads and um you know just doing the whole like stone age thing the, the, what i was hunting with was stone age but i it wasn't made with stone age techniques i should say um and i'm i'm i think that's that's something that I want to do. I want to do, I want to build a full on stone age hunting rig, but do it and like not use any kind of, I'm not using a draw knife or anything like that. I want to use stone age equipment, stone age tools, building methods, all of that stuff and make a truly primitive setup and then take a deer or a, a pig or something like that with it. Um, and so I've started looking back into like, I just started uh, brain or not brain tanning, but bark tanning a hide. I've, I've actually got the 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 hide from the first elk I ever took with a self bow. It's been hanging in my barn, salted and and dried forever. And pulled that thing down the other day, and I'm about halfway through the a bark tanning process uh, with that. And I'm gonna try to make a pair of um like high top winter uh, muckluck slash moccasins with that use that for the outer shell um 
but I think that would be super cool. It's nothing I've never done. And I think that for me anyway, that's, I think that's the next, next step. So like when you say complete primitive, you're going to, you're going to nap your own heads and collect your own shafts and fletching and, and just the, the whole nine, right? Yeah. And I've done, you know, I've, ta- I've, I've taken deer with, with pr- truly primitive setups, everything except for the head. Like I've, I've never been very good at flint napping. I can make a decent head, but I'm not, I'm not good. I'm, any, I'm far from what I would call a good flint napper. Um, but I think I'm going to try to make a, make a trip to one of the obsidian sites, uh, that's within a day's drive of here and pick up a bunch of my city. And I'm just going to try to get it figured out, you know, so that I can make some heads that are <clears throat> good enough so that I would feel comfortable hunting with them. Right. Um, but I like, you know, the, the bows that I make now are not what they're not primitive. They're, they're natural materials, <clears throat> but they're a modern design, you know, historically, like there never would have been, or as far as I know, anyway, they weren't, they didn't have stiff handles and cut out arrow shelves and all that stuff. You know, they would have been mm-hmm. a, just a, a D bow, <clears throat> maybe a hourglass shape, slight hourglass shape or something like that, or just a, a simple flat bow. And so, that's uh that's the plan sinew string or maybe a a nettle stinging nettle string or something like that but yeah i think that'd be pretty cool yeah that would be cool that's uh that's a big undertaking too it is it's you know people don't understand like it's a lot it's a huge amount of work i mean just Mm -hmm. to make one arrow like the bow's the easy part making Mm -hmm. the string making the arrows the heads um that's that's the difficult part. Like I could probably, I've never done a bow with stone tools, but I think, I think I could make a, a good bow with stone tools, you know, amp, you know, wedges and all that stuff. I think I could do it. I, I could probably get it mostly done in a day um, and probably get it finished in two days, but then to make the arrows, you know, that's, that's a, that's a big big job to make a good set of matched arrows yeah it is a big job i mean depending on how many you want i mean that's uh that's a lot i mean three arrows that would be that would take a lot of time i mean straightening and yeah and and napping alone i've been trying my hand at flint napping and it's um you can watch someone do it and you're like okay i've got this you know that looks (laughs) that looks easy you go to set your shelves up and you know, you just crack one when it starts getting thin and the whole thinning process is just, it's an, it's an art for sure. Yeah. Those guys that, that really have it down. I mean, they, uh, I went to the Tennessee class a couple of years ago and they have the, their nap and pit and all those guys sitting around there knocking out heads and they just, they're amazing. Yeah, they are. They are. So Clay, you're going to take it all the way then. If you said you're going to make some moccasins out of buckskin, now are we going to expect to see Clay in, in like a buckskin loincloth on YouTube after that, running around with everything that's self-made, trying I, I to kill something? Uh, I think that's. I think you're onto something. That's that'll that'll uh, that's a good way to get some views. <laughs> you will, we got to do it. We got to do it in winter time though. The, the snow's got to be about three feet deep. <laughs> that's exactly right you're gonna have a new audience i'm sure start watching your channel at that point (laughs) yeah 
That's great. Well, I, I'm excited just to talk about some hunting. I want to know you're you're a diehard elk hunter from what I've heard and from what we've seen on your videos that you've posted. And so is there anything that you wish tips or tricks or anything that you wish you could have told your younger self when you were pursuing elk versus now? Yes, there is. Um, it took me <clears throat> when I first started, uh, bow hunting elk i think it took me seven years of hunting before i killed my first elk with a bow and it was um it wasn't for lack of opportunity like the first couple of years i was in a really good area and um i think let's see uh nine ten so the first probably four years that i hunted elk i was in good elk country and then i went through a spell where i was um just in crappy country, like just just weren't elk there um, and then I got back into another area where there was good elk, but those first couple of years, you know, if I, if I had, if I could, with what I know now, if I could go back and hunt those same, have those same hunts, I could have killed elk every year. Um, but I think the biggest mistake that I was making is, is bringing my whitetail mentality to the mountains because I grew up hunting whitetails <clears throat> down in Florida and you know how you know whitetails i mean they're high strung you can't get away with anything especially if you're on the ground and you make a mistake you you move at the wrong time you make a wrong noise or something like that and they look over at you or throw their ears up or something like that like they might not blow out immediately but you're it's it's going to be uh unlikely that you're going to get a shot and so i i was those deer taught me to be a very very cautious hunter and because i hunted a lot on the ground and you can you know when you come out of the tree stand and you're on the ground it's even you have even less uh margin for error and so i brought that mentality out west and it cost me a lot like i i didn't know what i could get away with with elk and i was too timid and if i could go back and just tell myself like you got you have to got to be more aggressive you got to move you got to push you got to you got to like a lot of times you got to walk through the woods and just try to make noise like i'm breaking branches and stomping on stuff and i pick up i just like trying to make as much noise as i can sometimes and then like there'll be there's been multiple times where i'm i i'm looking at elk and i'm i'm moving through the woods like when I can see elk and you would never get away with that with whitetails, like what I can get away with, with elk, I would never be able to do that with whitetails. And so that's the, that was the biggest thing that kept me from killing elk. I think for, uh, for those first few years is I was just not aggressive enough. Yeah, that's all good points. I think guys down South that maybe haven't been elk hunting and I'm one of those guys, they, they wouldn't know that going into the woods and i think that everything that we've been taught and grown up and what we pursued has this uh, the quite the opposite of that right especially if you're you are still hunting i mean it's you you can't be you can't be loud you got to walk slowly you got to be quiet and and just being stealth like it sounds like that's uh that's that's not the approach you want to take so i think that's super helpful for somebody who might be wanting to go pursue elk uh especially with a bow and arrow uh in the in the future yeah, well, there's there's definitely times when you want to be quiet and you want to slip through the woods like you would when you're whitetail hunting. But like I can't ever think of a time when I would 
when I would intentionally make noise whitetail hunting, you know, unless I was rattling or something right. like that. So. Right, exactly. So where has been the most enjoyable hunt you've had? Where has that location been for elk state-wise? The only pl- the only state I've ever hunted elk is uh, has been in Idaho. Uh, I've never hunted outside of Idaho just because we've got such good opportunity for residents here. Um, I, I very rarely ever put in for a controlled hunt even here um, because our archery seasons are so good. And, you know, if I were to draw, a, like most of our controlled stuff down here is or in Idaho is um, kind of geared towards rifle hunters anyway. Um, so I don't, you know, I just get the over-the-counter uh, archery tags and spend my Septembers in the mountains. Inside 20 is brought to you by Traditional Bow Hunters of Georgia. Head on over to tradbowga.com for more information. And by Big Jim Bow Company, the place for custom bows, handmade leather goods, and much more to meet your traditional archery needs. Check them out at bigjimbowcompany.com. Gunshy Archery, the perfect custom-made quiver for both two- and three-blade broadheads. Check them out at gunshyarchery.com. VPA Broadheads, precision machined one-piece broadheads, two- and three-blade mode is available. Check them out at vparchery.com. And make sure you use discount code INSIDE20, spelled out with no spaces, for a 10% discount on any purchase. Custom King Archery, the best price on the best traditional archery products since 1972. Check them out at customkingarchery.com. Triple T Strings, created champion level Flemish and endless strings for hunters and target shooters using the best materials. Check them out at TTT Strings on Facebook. That's good. It makes it easier, I'm sure, being close from home. Well, it's, yeah, we're, we actually, we have elk here right close to home, but I don't hunt elk here because it's too, uh, if you go up north, it's really dense, heavily forested. Um, and you just can't see very far and then if right around here our place everything's just super roaded like there's atv trails everywhere and i hate hearing i don't want to see people i don't want to hear an atv i don't want to see a road or any of that stuff while i'm elk hunting and so we drive we actually drive a pretty fair way to get back into some more rugged country where i don't have to you know deal with stuff like that yeah that makes sense probably changes the entire experience if you're fighting people on atvs yeah yep well what could a skilled or seasoned turkey hunter that maybe has never been elk hunting what skills or or things tactics that they've picked up that makes them a good turkey hunter could they apply in the elk woods as i've heard it's it's very similar to what you would do sometimes in turkey tactics yeah that's a good question. Um, well, <clears throat> let's say, I guess you could probably treat <clears throat> a bull elk with a, with cows similar than you, that th- similarly as a Tom that's all hinned up, you know, you're not gonna, you're not gonna generally, you're not going to call that, that bird off of those hens and you're not going to call that bull away from those cows. And so you got to push in, you got to, you got to threaten them. Basically you got to push in super tight, um, to, to have a chance of getting that, that, that bull or that Tom to, to come to you. Um, the other thing is sometimes turkey's just going to go where turkey's going to go. 
and they're going to do nothing to turn him around and you just got to get in front of them and elk can be the same way and it's 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 tougher with elk because you can't like a lot of times you just can't get in front of them because you might have to go around an entire basin to do it whereas with a turkey you know you you might get a hundred yards from him and be able to skirt around the other side of him um but yeah i guess those would be the the, the two things that i would be i would say were most um transferable from one to the other well, that makes sense makes total sense those are good those are really good tips we like to talk about the mental game that often comes with any type of traditional bow hunting and and the need for uh, a strong mental game and then also to continue to work on building that uh, because heartbreak is often inevitable so want to know how clay hayes deals with any kind of mishaps any missed shots and shot opportunities uh, when you thought it might go a different way at this point in your in your traditional journey well i think it it all starts with how you approach hunting and and why you're in the woods to start with um i think sometimes it can be easy for guys especially you know if you've got a a competitive nature to you to to get confused about why you're in the woods um for me it's like you know we it's important for us to fill the freezer it's important for us to notch tags because that's what we eat you know we 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 don't buy meat we we eat elk and deer and all the things that we get out of the woods um but we can do that you know we can we can keep the freezer filled and especially now that finn's old enough to hunt and and uh liz has started hunting a little bit it's it it's pretty easy and so that takes some of the pressure off of it but um as far as like being disappointed at having uh having to let an animal walk because he's out of range or you know a missed shot or something like that um i don't know man it's it's hard for me like i don't get i don't ever get the feeling that i'm disappointed especially like if i have to let an animal walk and just this last year is a great example i was um probably for 15 minutes i was within 45 yards of one of the biggest bull elk that i've ever been close to and i just never he had a he had a a bunch of cows down with down there with him and i couldn't get him to budge and he was just a little bit out of my range i mean i i could have flung an arrow at him and i like i've got a little 3d range here behind my house i've got a 45 yard target and i can 60 percent of the time i can get an arrow into the kill zone of that mule deer target but like it never even occurred to me to try to shoot at that bull um you know i want him to be for an elk anyway i want him to be 30 yards and under and 15 yards preferably but even though i sat there and watched that that bull for 15 minutes and eventually he got his cows up and just kind of kind of walked away from me like i never was disappointed at that because it i i see it as an as a success because i got to be there and i got to see that and uh and observe him for so long and observe uh you know how he interacted with his cows and and um it was like a a a front row ticket to a really good show um and so i don't know i don't understand uh 
personally, I don't, I don't understand the mentality of, you know, calling something like that a failure, you know, because you didn't get a shot or didn't punch a tag or something like that. Um, but that's just me. No, that's good. That's a great mentality to have. And I think uh, there's definitely a lot of people out there that you've got to be intentional about that. And maybe you change uh, as time goes on um, and maybe just different experiences you have in the woods change that or life experiences in general. I think that's great advice. Is there any other advice for somebody like if anybody's brand new or, or thinking about getting into traditional bow hunting specifically that you would share with them? um hunt for the experience just hunt for for the opportunity to be in the woods and experience all the things that you get to experience when you're in the woods um i mean some of the best hunts that i've ever had some of the best experiences i've ever had in the woods i never i never loosed an arrow um but anytime you're in the woods if you've got an open mind there's the opportunity to learn something or observe something new. Um, so just, yeah, spend as much time in the woods as you can and, and have an open mind and, and see all of the beautiful, beautiful things around you and don't get so, um, don't get so locked in on what, uh, you know, whatever your objective is. If you, if you're like out there to notch a tag or something like that, I mean, there's so many other things to enjoy when you're in the woods. Yeah, I can, I can definitely speak to that. I mean, traditional archery, I mean, you have to, you have to get in close. Like you said, Clay, I mean, preferably 15 yards is, is where you want them. But if you take the time while you're, while you're out there getting that close to animal, it really sharpens most other woodsmanship skills. I mean, just, just being there and, and understanding, you know, where you need to be in the woods, it'll, it'll really help you out and, in other areas and enjoying the time you have is, is, is most important when you're out there. Yeah. Well, I mean, just trying to get that close, you, you, you fail more often than, than you succeed getting that close to animals. But every time you make a stalk and blow a stalk, um, you, you learn, you, you might learn something you might, you know, if you have to sit there, a lot of times you have to sit and just wait and watch, wait for your opportunities. And, while you're sitting there waiting and watching you observing animals from way closer than most folks will ever, you know, be able to, to observe them. And, uh, especially like in the case of elk, elk make all kind of noises that most people never hear because they're not close enough. Like, a uh, a bull, bull elk make all kind of little low growly rumbling guttural noises that you wouldn't hear unless you're within, you know, 10 or 15 yards of them. And, and, and that's, it's cool to be able to, to witness that stuff from that close. We know you love elk hunting, but we've also seen some hunts that you've been on from in coastal areas and, and know you enjoy pig hunting and, and been in areas that you've hunt, hunted uh, other animals, right? From a coastal standpoint. So ha have you learned any kind of tips or strategies that you've utilized in coastal settings versus higher level sea, sea uh, level uh, locations in the past? Well, I, I don't know. Hunt, um, hunting, we'll, we'll take deer, for example, whitetails, because I mean, it's going to vary by species, but we have whitetails in the mountains here in Idaho and there's deer, you know, 
basically everywhere uh, right down onto the beaches in florida and uh coastal georgia and all of that stuff but i mean deer uh, deer are deer wherever they're at and um the 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 big i guess the only thing that i could think of to uh to talk to on that topic would be just how they use the landscape um here in the mountains they'll use saddles and ridges for traveling they'll use breaks in the topography for cover and just you have to learn how the deer use your topographic features and your land uh, features and the cover wherever you're hunting um, down south in the coastal areas you got a lot of marshes so you know you might not have those saddles and and ridges to funnel their movements but you might have swamp <clears throat> you might have <clears throat> um, different vegetation types like a lot of the areas that i hunt down there it's really it's it's relatively flat ground but it doesn't take but i don't know six or eight inches of elevation change to to, to completely change the vegetation type um you know you might have <clears throat> oaks and pines on a little what would you know relative to the surrounding areas be a ridge but even though it might be only a foot higher um and so just learning to read the landscape and figure out how animals are moving um and using that landscape yeah that makes sense that makes 100 percent sense and just uh being able to figure out uh just the way uh, the different properties and areas that you're, you're hunting layout layout and and i think too now the uh, benefit today versus how it used to be is just all the uh, the maps that you're able to access and all the different topo maps and, and being able to go in and look at that before you even see a property especially if you're going somewhere that's a destination hunt that you don't you know you don't live in so that's that makes a big difference too yeah the uh satellite imagery is a massive advantage it is it sure is you have any favorite hunting stories from when you're in a coastal setting any type of top they like man that that hunt the way it played out was just it was awesome and it it, it sticks in my memory uh, up there in the top of it my some of my favorite played out hunts well the i guess my favorite has been the the times that finn has been with me and and shot pigs he uh he killed his first pig with a self bow when he was seven uh and i wasn't even with him i just gave him an arrow and he took off and shot a pig with it um but then this last year uh we were hunting with uh with my buddy scott Crippen down at his place in south florida and um we were all scott was filming and finn finn and i were standing there waiting for some pigs to come in and i was watching a watching a little boar and you know waiting for him to clear a palm frond so i he was only like i don't know eight yards from me not even that probably six yards uh waiting on him to clear a palm frond so i could get a shot and i have an arrow go whizzing past and smack the pig before i could ever get a shot and his fin was sitting behind me on a log and he'd shot him and then uh (laughs) just a just a little bit later he shot another one so it was uh, that type of stuff I, I love i love having him along he's uh he likes to hunt and he's he's a pretty good shot and um that's 
those are my fondest memories. It should be. That's amazing. I can imagine how special that was. And then he shooting a pig out from underneath you. It's even better, right? <laughs> That's right. I was as happy as could be. I love the transition because next I want to know what, what are some tips getting somebody younger, a young child, a uh, brother, a sister, somebody who is younger uh, and trying to get them into the traditional uh, and trying to get them set up. Well, what are some, you know, some tips that you found that is helpful with that? Well, um, I think the, the probably the, make it fun. You know, make sure that they have a bow that's not too heavy for them, something that they can shoot comfortably. Um, and that might be, you know, depending on the kid, that might be 10 pounds, 15 pounds for a small kid or even a, a bigger kid that just doesn't isn't um, used to shooting or doesn't have the right muscles developed. Uh, maybe, you know, they might be shooting a 15 pound bow. Um, but then, you know, once you got that taken care of, just make it fun. You know, don't don't expect them to sit there on a, a range and shoot arrow after arrow at a block target. You know, they're not going to want to do that. Um, you know, if you want to get them some judo tips or something like that and go make a game out of shooting pine cones or whatever, or stick them some balloons up. They like to hear things pop and make noise. And, um, that's, uh, all those things are helpful. Those are good tips. I like that a lot. I think just keeping it fun. To me, that was probably one of the most important things, anything with, with young kids, right? Any kind of activity. Absolutely. What is the average yardage that, that you felt like has uh, played out into your successful, your harvest, your hunts with traditional equipment? Well, uh, the farthest I've ever killed anything was I think it was 2015. I shot a bull elk at 35 yards. Uh, I think I actually killed this cow uh, last year, two years ago at about that. Um, and then the closest I ever shot was, uh, shot a little button bucket, like six feet one time. Um, but I guess my average, if I thought about all the shots that I take is probably, I don't know, 12, 10 to 12 yards, something like that. Yeah, that seems like the, the most uh, common yardage, for, especially from people that have been doing it for a long time or have found a lot of success with traditional equipment. Yeah, I just set up my, sh like if I'm, if I'm ambush hunting, I just set up for close shots. Um, and then, you know, if I'm still hunting, like I, I'll, I'll still hunt a lot out here in the West and just spend a lot of time watching critters, uh, and just trying to get myself into position where they're going to come by me. Um, you know, if they're not like 20 yards on a whitetail, a jumpy whitetail is a, is a fairly long shot. You know, I mean, I can do that. No problem, but it's just, they're, they're so quick, man. I like them to be closer. Yeah, they are. We often talk about that. The arrow will go where it's supposed to go, but the animal oh, yeah. may not be in the same spot when it gets there. Yep. Who's been a mentor, either is or has been in your life? Well, I think the the folks that have pro had the most in influence on my 
life has been my my parents um uh especially my dad you know we 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 didn't have the same interests he was interested in horses and i i did that stuff you know when i was young because that's just what we did uh but i never had a passion for it you know we'd go to the horse shows and i would i would always take my fishing rod and i was off in the woods doing something while they were riding horses uh but i think just having that model like he he was a horse trainer he is a horse trainer and um that's the life that he built uh and he built that from scratch and you know with with people telling him that he was crazy and he wasn't going to be able to do it but he made it work and he made um he made a really good good life for us and so i had that kind of influence uh and i don't know that you know if he had been if he had been a, a factory worker or a banker or something like that i don't know that i would be able would have found my way to do what i do now you know without that uh that model to to go off of yeah it's i mean he's basically helped you pave your your path in your life and just by him being somebody who was willing to take risk i'm sure and uh go with his uh you know where his heart was guiding him and, and going for his passion and making that his his reality and many yeah. people sit on their hands in this world and they don't do that and i think that's a great testimony as to who you can impact especially when it comes yeah. to your children no matter what point in the life they are and how old they are i think this your actions uh, they carry a lot more weight than you might think yeah absolutely so clay my dad was a car guy so he never hunted or fished or anything like that um who got you you know down the path of primitive archery i know you said you picked up a lot of it just because you wanted to but who kind of mentored you along the way when you were looking for help i didn't have anybody um you know and i i got into it uh before I mean, there was no Google or like the in, internet was in its infancy. You know, that was back in the days of a AOL dial-up. <laughs> you had to listen to that awful noise when you got on the computer. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, you had to go to the library if you wanted to find any information on anything. And, and our libraries didn't have any books on bow building or anything like that. But that traditional Bowyer's Bible, I mean, I... I remember very distinctly the day that I found that book. It was in one of those little flyers that you used to get in the mail. Um, and I I ordered that book and that was really, that was the thing that taught me. And that and, and just a burning, like I, I don't know how many bows. I'm, I, I was making that first year that, uh, that I was making bows. I was probably making, I don't know, three bows a week. I mean, I was just busting them out left and right. Um, because I just, I don't know, I was learning, I was breaking bows and I was having a good time. And, uh, so that book and just the never ending desire to build bows and fling arrows is what, uh, got me down the road. 
Yeah, that really speaks to your passion for those people that don't know where it comes from. Uh, that's it right there. If that's not passion, I don't know what is. So that's really cool, Clay, that you that you took that up. Yeah, it is. It should Anybody be a testimony. Can do it. That's right. Exactly right. It should be a testimony. I think it is a lot easier to have people in your close circle or a mentor when you're starting out for most individuals. But I think that you are obviously a, a self-starter and somebody who is is motivated. And I think that you you're able to MacGyver and figure your way uh, through the processes of you know, getting to the point to where you're at now. And I'm sure there was a lot of persistence and. Uh, drive and, and and a lot of broken bows and not giving up through the process and so I think it just speaks volumes on just the mindset again and just if somebody's interested in this you can't just give up on your first try uh, at that point it's you just, you're gonna be you, you're gonna regret that decision down the road yeah I you know I hear I get questions from people all the time about uh, you know how, how to get started in bow building and you know, there's a, there's a, um, there's a theme that just keeps coming up, keeps coming up. And that's people are afraid to, to mess up. People are afraid to break a bow. It's like, you can't, if you're going to get, if you're going to become a bow builder, you're going to build bows and, um, you're going to break them. You're going to mess them up. I mean, heck I've been doing it since, 1999 i still break them i just broke one today (laughs) (laughs) um but you get you're constantly pushing the limits you know you're seeing what you can get away with um but don't let the fear of failure stop you from doing anything and god there's so many people that 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 are afraid to, to to fail afraid to mess up and they let that stop them from even trying and i just cannot understand that you got to just go for it. Just pick up. Don't, you know, if you, if it's something you want to do, go find a piece of wood. I don't care if it's a piece of two by four, like I said earlier, get whatever you can find and just go try something. You know, you might make a bow and you might not, but you're going to learn something either way. Heck yeah. I don't know about you, Tim, but I'm inspired at this very moment. Well, you're going to have to come over here and, uh, I got all these staves. You're going to have to help me, uh, Help me make some bows in, man. Break we'll knock some. it. We'll knock it out. I love it. I absolutely love it. Well, I want to close with a question to find out if Clay Hayes has any exciting hunts planned for this season. I know elk season is, is going to be here before we know it, but any other hunts that you've got planned that are going to be special? I don't have any uh, anything out of the ordinary that we would normally do. We always look forward to our elk camp or family elk camp because we basically we have a big, huge wall tent, like a 16 by 20 wall tent. Um, and the whole family goes down there. We're spend the, basically the spend the whole month down there or, until I kill something. But Liz is hunting this year. And then, uh, the thing that I'm most excited about though, is Finn drew a really good rifle bull tag. And so, immediately after the archery season he, he he's got a uh a bull tag that opens and the elk the, the bulls will still be bugling and so we've got a really good chance of of killing a a, a bull and, and actually a pretty good chance of killing a nice bull but i mean i'm not gonna i'm gonna let him shoot whatever he wants to shoot you know if we can get close enough to something he can shoot a spike if he wants to 
but that'll be his first like really good chance at an elk. We we hunted elk around here a little bit last year on a a cow hunt, but it was an early season hunt. We never could find a cow that didn't have a just a really small calf with her. Um, so we didn't end up getting a shot last year, but but this this early October, I think we got a pretty doggone good shot at it. Oh, I hope awesome. this is the year. I hope it yeah. is. Clay, I got to ask one thing before Matt closes us out. Uh, not to keep bringing up your 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 one video, but you talked about javelina gloves. Are you gonna Are you gonna make you a pair of those? I didn't. I didn't keep the hide on that because we didn't have the cooler space to keep it. And the hides on those things, you don't you don't want that anywhere near <laughs> your meat imagine. or or where you can smell it because they are rank. I mean, like they are way ranker than any boar hog that I've ever smelled. Um, but hopefully we'll get to go back down there again and I can kill one, but I would, uh, yeah, I definitely want to tan the hide. Um, but I think it would take, I think it would take a, a javelina for each hand to make some gloves. Right. I understand that. I understand. I had never heard of that until I heard you say it and I was like, javelina gloves. Like, wow. I didn't even know that was a thing. Yeah. Apparently they're like super high end, uh, fancy gloves so yeah there you I, go I, I can make some javelina gloves to go along with my uh my loincloth yeah my, my, my loincloth <laughs> <laughs> more 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 to come make sure uh, you post that link for everybody after this podcast <laughs> i will Good i love idea. it man this has been an absolute blast clay and once again we're just thankful for the time and the wisdom that you shared with us and, and everybody that's going to hear this. And it just, it means a lot. So just, just know that we are, we're truly grateful and want to close this out in a quick word of prayer. If that's all right. Absolutely. Dear Lord, we just come to you today and we're just so thankful for just this opportunity to connect with so many amazing people uh, in something that we are truly passionate about. And I think it's very true that, you put passions in our heart for a reason. Um, and, and just, we are thankful for the opportunity to be able to speak about this freely and just the, uh, this, uh, upcoming season that we're going to have the hunting season and the time to, uh, just to pursue, uh, a, a more animals and more opportunity for experiences and memories in the woods with friends and family. And just thank you for clay. I thank you for his family. I ask you to continue to guide him and his entire family and, and just their uh, pursuit of game and just their personal lives and just their ventures. And just to ask you to continue to be with them. Just thank you for the man that he is and what he stands for and just what he brings to the community. I ask that you continue to put your hand on Todd Cook and everybody that's in his family currently right now. You know what he's struggling with, Lord. I ask you to just heal him and just be with those that are his support system. Just know that you're with him, Lord. Just let him know that and just continue to guide and protect him. I ask you continue to be with Marie Sturges. Just continue to keep her healthy and strong as she continues to try to uh, just battle the uh, just the fight of of uh, cancer, Lord. Just continue to watch over her and just keep her safe. And just ask you just continue to uh, be with our friend, Brittany Powell, Lord. You know that she was just diagnosed with breast cancer. And just watch over her and protect her as she begins treatment and be with her family and just uh, lift them up and just give them confidence that you're going to be with her every step of the way. And I just thank you for everything you've given us. Just continue to watch over us and guide us for goes for our sins. And we just thank you in Jesus name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, man. Thanks, Clay. Thanks so yeah. much. Yeah. Thank you, Clay. It was great talking Absolutely. to you.
Yeah, happy to be here. Good talking to you guys. We are partnering with Tether to do a big giveaway. We are going to be giving away one Predator regular platform, the Tether and the Lyman's belt, and also the Lockdown Saddle. The full hunting package for somebody who is already a saddle hunter and maybe wants to upgrade their setup or somebody brand new that wants to maybe try saddle hunting. So here's what you got to do. You got to tag three of your hunting buddies in the post that we post on our Instagram or our Facebook page. And then you got to like and follow Tethered and then also us as well. And so this will go live on the 31st of August, and then we will draw the winner on the 23rd of September. Best of luck.